at some point we are going to have to do a whole show about how good this show sounds.
everybody, welcome to Down Ballot. We do the show live every Tuesday, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, right here on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. Also simulcasting to other places that do not matter. Also, hi to everybody on YouTube. Um, <laughs> you can support this project by going to echoplexmedia.com and clicking the support tab. Find your favorite way. I'm producer Dave. You can find me on Grinder. And with you, as always, is the councilman. You can find me on X at T-H-E underscore councilman. You cannot find me in your sample ballot. Aw. Not this year. Not going to lose again? <laughs> I was not planning on it, no. I think two times is, is good enough for me, and third time <laughs> will not be the charm. I think that the time has come for white men. I think we got to step back and, and, and let other people uh, take you know get some representation and have a chance to lead. The only one of my co-hosts I don't like absolutely fuck with all the time is the media wench because I know she will drive down here. <laughs> <laughs> she will find you. She knows where you live. She does. She's been over. Right. Well, um, uh, we have a a docket we should get to. Uh, what do we got for leading off? Well, um, some good news, I guess, and sort of the anti-doom loop kind of news. Uh, East Palo Alto, a uh, city much uh, you know, maligned by know whatever you want to call the mainstream um but really a city of um, beauty and resilience and strength uh but also living in the shadow of palo alto has had its his share of crime and uh its fair share of violent crime but this past year uh they were excited to report uh an amazing statistic and we're going to learn a little bit more about it and what it might mean for the future and the current state of the city when you set out with a certain goal in mind, it's hard enough to meet it, let alone surpass it and set a new standard. But such is the story tonight in East Palo Alto, where just the name of that city 30 years ago, it used to evoke images of rampant runaway violence, earning the city the title of the nation's murder capital. Well, now they've got a different headline with crime that's bringing national attention once again, but in the best possible way. Kelsey Thorin reports. Well, for the first time in the department's history, East Palo Alto police say they did not record a single murder the entire year of 2023. It's an accomplishment the police chief says shows just how far this community has come since the dark days of the early 90s. Ready? Police Chief Jeff Liu grew up in Palo Alto and remembers exactly what his parents used to say about East Palo Alto. My parents always told me, don't go to East Palo Alto. And this was like the 80s, early 90s, don't go to East Palo Alto, it's very dangerous, stay out of East Palo Alto. During that time, East Palo Alto was known as the murder capital of the U.S. In 1992, the city of just 24,000 people at the time reported 42 homicides the most per capita of any city in the country. Chief Liu says even now, 30 plus years later, it's still hard to shake that reputation. Even when I'm in different areas of the state, you know, you say, yeah, I work in East Palo Alto, people would say, ooh, because they think it's dangerous. Despite those hurdles, Chief Liu joined the East Palo Alto Police Department 23 years ago. He became chief in 2023, and that same year, the city accomplished something many thought may never happen. They did not record a single murder the entire year. After so many years of carrying that label around, you know, to, to reach zero, zero murders for the 2023 year, um, that's just the hugest community, community accomplishment possible. 
Chief Liu credits the entire community for the success, saying everyone from local churches to after school programs to community leaders chipped in to create a safe and welcoming culture in the city. Everybody's been working through this or working towards this for so many years. That's why I say it's a community celebration right now. It's a trend the chief is hopeful will continue long into the future, but one he says he's prepared to handle either way. I know we we reached a, a milestone and it's an amazing thing, but we can't rest. We have to keep working and keep um, finding new ways of doing things. And Chief Lu really isn't taking any of the credit for this accomplishment. I jokingly asked him if he was going to be bragging about this to other police chiefs in the area, and he told me that he couldn't do that because he doesn't even take a small amount of the credit. He gives all of that to the city of East Palo Alto. I don't know. That guy's pretty yoked. I think he stopped all the murders by himself. <laughs> <laughs> Just stood in the corner. Like wagging his finger. No, no, no. No murder in Nace Palato. No, this is great. This is really uh, great news. I do remember growing up, e EPA having a seriously bad rep. Um, and one of those places you just, oh, don't, we don't talk about Bruno. We don't go to EPA. Um, you, you know, you, when you get off the 101 right at university, you go left to go to Palo Alto, you go right to go to Ikea, <laughs> but not to East Palo Alto, right? Um, so this is, this is really good news. Um, I don't know how the trend can continue unless you have like negative murders, I suppose, uh, but uh, maybe a trend of you know zero, that'd be great, um, but we'll see. I think one year, one year doesn't necessarily denote a trend, but uh, it's just another example of how far things have come, I think, generally, like, as we talk about a lot on this show, uh, in terms of crimes and violent crimes, especially uh, over time, being way down. So uh, we're, we're going in the right direction, folks. Keep up the good work. Yeah. And did Palo Alto, Palo Alto have any murders? I bet they did. I would imagine they did, you know, some uh, artisanal cupcake shop owner who was just offended by someone taking a duke on their sidewalk, you know, decided to go out and shoot them away with a gun that they didn't know was loaded, something like that. No, I, I don't know. I'm, sh I'm sure there was some sort of domestic violent uh, death in Palo Alto at some point last year. We can look it up. It's a bigger city, to be fair. And maybe the, um, maybe the EPA cops were just taking all the, the victims and dumping them in front of Zuckerberg's house. Menlo Park's like murder rate just shot up, or Ather <laughs> Atherton's murder rate just shot up massively. I mean, one murder in Atherton would actually probably you know uh, make them the murder capital of the world. I don't know how many people live in Atherton. I think Steph Curry and uh, yeah, and Zuckerberg, and that's pretty much it. So growing up, uh, my parents had friends who lived in EPA, and we went there all the time. Cool. No, good. Good on you. Good on you. I I I tend to think these things are you know reputations generally speaking, are not very well earned, no matter what it is, right? Um, so, yeah. Uh, would you, uh, any spots you can point to now that, you, that might still be there that folks can hit up, like food spots or um, any uh, cool parks? or No, there because we would always go to, um, <clears throat> if we met up with them, we'd actually always go to Chef Chew in Atherton. Yeah, for sure. That's actually we where don't... my parents took me for my birthday over the weekend. That place is so good. Nice. Is, is it okay that there was a fire just down the street from it? I think um, uh, not too long ago. So uh, I don't know if they're parking was they're impacted. Okay. Ah. <laughs> nice, but they're okay. Church yeah, yeah, is okay. It was cool. busy yeah. as always. But <clears throat> this is good for EPA. I do, I do want to like. I don't know. They didn't mention it in the story, but EPA is getting kind of gentrified. Mm. And um, yeah, you know <clears throat> the 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 downside of gentrification is all of the downside of gentrification, but. 
if you had to say something good about it, usually when a place gets gentrified, violent crime does go down. But yeah, zero bodies. That's pretty. That's pretty right. good. But okay. it's but, not. It's not necessarily the right way to reduce violent crime in a place mm-hmm. like that. But but it's you know, as more and more people who work at Facebook are looking for affordable accommodations, they're going to be moving more to EPA. Well, sure. it's, it's it's good kind of i'm i'm i'd have to look into this more i'd, I'd like to see um what percentage of the the what percentage of like the low-income housing has gone away and stuff and did uh you know and who's moving in right um yeah i'm just I, always uh, i'm just always curious about like how like m- like more broadly what's going on because like I just, I, I just never, it never occurred to me to be afraid of East Palo Alto. I mean, I saw it on the news and stuff, but like, like we used to buy weed from a guy there. Like he was, he was cool as fuck. Like, like there was just no fucking problem. Like when I was like, like when I was at university, I knew some Stanford students who lived off campus and lived in East Palo Alto because it was cheaper. Like, I would guess you could still get your weed there because Palo Alto has a ban, I think on dispensaries. So, um, you probably have to go to EPA to get your weed. Um, yeah, and they have they have a decent they have a really uh, decent um, art scene there. Their um, their artists are uh, very well engaged uh, in civic life. So I know that they were probably playing a role in some you know partly in the gentrification, but also in the beautification and the um, community building. Uh, Palo Alto not this. having weed shops that look like an Apple store. They're leaving a lot of green on the table, or maybe not putting any green on the table. I tried to tell them that once about ten years ago, um, but didn't. <laughs> It didn't take the ballot measure. Did not take. So um, it was funny. We did a poll, and um, or we looked at polling, and the polling said that wouldn't you know it? Uh, it you know, two thirds of Palo Altans voted in favor of you know medicinal pot and then legal pot. But when it came to actually approving dispensaries in Palo Alto, right, that flipped completely. So it was two, it was two to one against. Maybe so, that's why. Maybe that's why. I've, maybe that's why the murder rate is down in epa everybody's just chilled the fuck out because that's where all the weed at <laughs> right exactly and and pally you know there's a third of people who you know just don't want it in their own community um but support the idea love it yeah, it's, it's bizarre that's the ultimate in nimbyism it's it's really bizarre too because we watched when uh recreate not rec- when medical cannabis came to downtown oakland at um on like broadway like broadway and um broadway and i think broadway and 19th or something when that when that turned into oaksterdam that whole mm. neighborhood thrived. Like restaurants open, like all these these storefronts that were empty and stuff started to fill up, yeah. not just with weed places, but because like if people are going, you know, because it was hard to get medical weed at that time, and people coming from all over the Bay Area to get their fucking weed, right. put a like, nice little bistro next to the fucking weed shop, you're going to do pretty fucking good. Or a fish and chip shop. Yeah, for sure. No, absolutely. Um, so that's weird, they, they, especially because of the way downtown Palo Alto is, like a cute overpriced weed shop would just absolutely kill it there. Right, especially designed like an Apple store, right? That'd be beautiful. Just one big glass uh, paradise. Anyway, um, we'll good on EPA. We're going to move on to winners and losers where there are no winners unless it was somebody you weren't rooting for. Uh, Speaking of places that do have weed, uh, this is uh, about People's Park in Berkeley. Um, Even before weed was legal, weed was legal in People's Park in Berkeley. (laughs) For sure. Well, not much is legal there anymore, apparently, uh, because it looks like the uh, university has plans to develop the park um, into housing. So that's what this story is about the that's, conflict that's, between yes. they 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 need to absolutely not do this this is i'm I'm, I'm anyway we'll watch the news hit but i'm already pissed we'll, we'll hit it on the backside. 
One Berkeley Park has seen years and years of clashes, protests, and legal battles over its fate. It's been an almost never-ending fight to keep UC Berkeley from building on the land. But tonight, People's Park is off-limits to the people. Cal walled it off by double-stacking shipping containers. Officers swooped in for a midnight takeover, surrounding the park, kicking out campers, and making people come down from treehouses. City and campus police arrested a total of nine people, and the university didn't waste time starting to raise the land. People united will never be defeated. That's a piece of of people's history that is known internationally around the world and it's one of the things that that people know berkeley for roads are also blocked off around the park protesters got as close as they could facing off with riot police for hours and to really understand why this is such a big deal you need to go all the way back to the late 1960s that is when the university first bought the 2.8 acre plot of land to build dorms it sat as a vacant lot and became a magnet for anti-war protesters who used it for community gatherings and demonstrations. Raves. When the university tried to build on it in 1969, Concerts. protests exploded. One person was killed and those clashes spilled onto campus. Fast forward to now, even though the university has control over the park, our Andrea Nakano reports, there's another battle that could still stop it from actually building on the land. We are about two blocks away from People's Park, and much of this area has been closed off to the public. Hundreds of police officers from the University Police Department to the California Highway Patrol are here to keep these closures in place. It feels like there are more officers in the neighborhood than there are residents as UC Berkeley moves ahead with a plan to build housing at People's Park. It's pretty intimidating, though, you know, having police cars, police cars all around your house. Kusek O oh lives inside the barricaded zone and says for the most part, it's been easy to get in and out with a proof of residency. He says over the years, what if you just want to walk down the street at People's right. Park. I've been here for like six years now because I've been a student ever since freshman year uh, 2018. Uh, I mean, it, it is a little like sketchy, I guess, a bit scary. According to a spokesperson with UC Berkeley, the effort to stack shipping containers around the park and close it off to the public was carefully planned to minimize the disruption to neighbors and for safety. Since we stopped enforcing the no camping rule because of the pandemic, this has become the locus of serious crime. And more often than not, it's the unhoused people who've been targeted by that crime. Some residents, though, are disappointed by the way the university and the city has handled the transition of the landmark. There is a little touch of, of I wouldn't say pain, but it's like um, hurt. I did a lot of acid he in people's remembers being here in the 1960s when the park was a hotbed of social activism. On a personal note, this was where his aunt started going into labor. History. <laughs> it's history. The university says roughly 60% of the site will remain an open green space. The rest will be a combination of student and very low-income housing. While the need for student housing is critical, Cusack O wonders what kind of impact the project will have. The rents are pretty high up here, and like maybe if, if they build a new one there, it might relieve house, it might relieve the housing costs, or it might increase the housing costs, you know, because it became a better place to live here, you know. 
These barricades will remain in place until the fencing is put in around the shipping containers. No word on when that will be done. As for when the actual construction will begin, the state Supreme Court needs to weigh in on an appeal of a ruling by the university, which is blocking the project from moving forward. UC Berkeley currently houses only 23% of its students. That's the lowest percentage out of the 10 UC campuses. So that's crazy. I think the next thing they need to do is put a McDonald's on the steps of Sproul Hall um, so that, uh, that nobody remembers the machine speech. I think we should just like just start, um, just turn all of uh, all the history of uh, the city of Berkeley into a fucking building site. Why not? And have a Starbucks adjacent to the McDonald's so people can get their frappuccinos. <laughs> I'm, I yeah. cannot, I can, I cannot believe they're fucking doing that. Like they're going to, Oh, it's going to be open space, but it's not going to be fucking people's park anymore. Right. It's going to be the quad of a new housing development. And you know, yeah, we need housing. We talk about that a lot too on this show. Students need housing. Everyone needs housing. Um, but yeah, there, there's, ways to do it there's ways not to do it there's places to do it there's places not to do it i don't understand and know or know anything about the long i'm sure process of decision making or maybe short uh that went into this uh project uh who knows if they weighed all the ins and outs and here to fours but um yeah it's a shame it's absolute absolute shame especially the way they're doing it too right um this is this kind of police state uh response or uh, almost a proactive police state they've established around the park it's um like they knew it would cause trouble right to, to develop the place and to take it away from the people um so yeah i i don't know what went into this decision but it seems pretty bonehead to me too i mean it's been kind of a thing for a long time but it doesn't it didn't seem like the at any time before now the university was like actually aggressively pursuing putting uh, student housing there. It was just always something that was on a back sort of mm -hmm. like, I remember some protests about it in like the late nineties, but it was just that it was sure. being brought up at the board of regents or something. And people were protest or the board of Africa. What do you, I think it's the board of regents. I forget the name of the fucking, you know, all them fucking rich yeah, I don't people. Know how it works. Like the, the, yeah. There's the use. There's like the UCs are governed by the regents and then like the whole system. Um, I don't, I don't know particularly how each individual campus is regulated or, or run. Um, but yeah, more than likely there were just a number of efforts to to talk about it, and then got pushed back. Right, and this this time apparently the pushback wasn't strong enough to overcome the the will to to get it done. Well, um, they were able to. I, they were able to maybe in this case because of what we're seeing on local news, they were able to sort of leverage the idea that there's rampant crime or whatever there. And mm -hmm. as, and the other thing is Berkeley's not the same place it once was again. It is, it has been, mm -hmm. it is very gentrified now. It is mm -hmm. not the land of like hippies and radicals and weirdos anymore. So sure. that's why they can't, you know, the university can only afford to house 23% of their students because it's, it's a desirable place to live now actually. And rents are really high. Um, and it's hard to, it's hard for them to probably afford, uh, so I'm guessing they're doing that too, just to find a new source of revenue for themselves, right? Or another way to offset revenue or offset costs. Um, but uh, I, I, I want to say they've got access to more land than this. They've got other spaces they could think about. Maybe they consider them all. Who knows? And this was the, this was their decision. But again, 
Well, this, like I said, this has outside. been like in the works for a while. So yeah, yeah, but it, it just seems like they that was the the worst was considering all the options, right? And this was the best option. Well, we're going to move on to Bart in Santa Clara County here. Uh, Mm. A friend, not necessarily a friend of the pod, but a familiar face is going to show up, I think, in this story based on the show notes here. It'll be exciting. And good evening to you. I'm Juliet Goodrich in for Sarah tonight. You know, it took nearly 50 years for Bart. Yo, you're going to drown. Don't stand out there in the bay. Into Santa Clara <laughs> County. Don't so worry. When the system first launched in 1972, Fremont was the end of the line. Warm Springs didn't open until 45 years later in 2017, followed by Milpitas and Berryessa in 2020 at the height of the pandemic. That was obviously a curveball. But the mayor of San Jose said this week there is no turning back now. In in fact, VTA, which is paying for the Silicon Valley extension, just ordered a very expensive tool to finish the job, a $76 million tunnel boring machine to dig the last five miles from North San Jose through downtown to Santa Clara. So viewer Lane Anderson wrote to us saying it seems incomprehensible that BART is going forward with boring a costly tunnel when there isn't enough ridership to fund its service now. So let's bring in Devin Feely. And despite all of these concerns, all of the costs, the VTA says, hey, this is still full speed ahead. Tell us about it. Yeah, that's exactly right. As someone that grew up in the South Bay, I can tell you that there was a collective sense of regret at having missed the BART train when that system first opened in 1972. And when it finally arrived Mm -hmm. in Santa Clara County, it was supposed to be momentous, epic. But you know what? Push aside those adjectives because the unvarnished truth of what it's been so far has been underwhelming. The riders just have not come, and I can already- But that's because nobody wants to go to the fucking place where the Berryessa flea market used to be. There's nothing there. Or the Warm Springs BART station. I mean, nothing's there yet, right? There's housing that they're building around it, but there's really nothing there. Arguments from the people that are still bullish on this project. They say it opened in the middle of a pandemic, dummy. It's not finished. The worst grade that you could give it so far is an incomplete. But there is a risk, Juliet, in leaning too far in to the mantra of build it and they will come. You risk falling on your face. And today's story explores the potential price of getting it wrong. I do like the convenience factor of the train. Meaning I'm able to get from point A to point B, you're not driving. Since moving to the Bay Area a few years ago, Austin Clappen has lived in San Francisco, but worked in the South Bay, commuting three days a week on BART. For me personally, I always wanted to live in San Francisco and the BART really kind of gave me the opportunity for transportation because it's just myself, my two feet and, and my bike. Riding BART, he says, saves him time, steers him well clear of the headache of traffic and spares him the expense of owning a car at all. Leaving the apartment to walk into the office is pretty much about, I would say, an hour 10, hour 15, which really isn't so bad when you consider the amount of people that sit in traffic in their cars. But Austin's experience is more the exception than the rule. According to the Valley Transportation Authority, which paid for and built the BART extension into Santa Clara County, the pre-pandemic ridership projection was an estimated 23,000 people using the Berryessa and Milpitas stations on day one. 
In September of this year, however, the stations had a combined average daily ridership of roughly 2,300, the original estimate off by nearly 90%. I still am supportive, but I'm very disappointed. Johnny Chemis is a former member of VTA's board of directors. Good that he's not. Says after anymore. being intoxicated by the idea of Bart for decades, he was now drunk. That it's arrived in Santa Clara County. The sobering reality is it is woefully underutilized. And to understand why, we may need to turn back the clock a bit. I feel very much exhilarated about today. Santa Clara County was not on the guest list for Bart's opening day celebration on September 11, 1972, Ooh. having opted out of the system years before. It would be more than 47 years, 17,441 days to be exact, before the county belatedly joined the party, and at quite a cost. $2.3 billion to extend the BART system, first into Milpitas, and then to San Jose. We have to plan for the future. The future of San Jose is more business and more housing in the downtown. That's where the station is planned to go. So I think it is good planning, bad execution. Chemist says he is deeply troubled by the rapidly rising cost of the final leg of the extension that will bring BART into downtown San Jose and on to Santa Clara. The project was supposed to cost $4.7 billion and be completed in 2026. But the price ballooned. First to $6.9 billion, then to $9.1, and now to a whopping $12.2 billion. And it's going to take longer, too. Ten years longer. Projected to open sometime in 2036. But Carolyn Gonad, VTA's general manager, says it would be a mistake to let cost overruns and construction delays derail the project. This project's a multi-generational, long-term investment. How much is it too much? We don't know. It's never going to be cheaper than it is now. It's been a major plan in this Bay Area for over 40 years, and we're just about to start digging, so I don't want to hold it up any longer. <laughs> Working in the world of tech and finance, Austin Clappen says he understands the concerns about a project that's behind schedule and over budget. But when it comes to better, more connected transit, he's completely on board. I used to grow up in Chicago, and I find the public transportation system in the Bay Area to be light years ahead of Chicago, and in terms of the safety measures and accessibility. The Valley Transportation Authority hoping that a project much delayed does not ultimately become a project derailed. Now here's a potential problem. Not only is VTA <laughs> on the hook for the construction costs of the extension, they also have to pay to operate it, and that's estimated to cost about $75 million a year when it's fully built out. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's a great vision, and if it happens, wonderful. But what if they build it and then the riders don't come? Well, the problem is the same problem that the entire system is facing right mm -hmm. now. They're dependent on riders, and without riders, they're lacking the revenue. Yeah. So they're still going to be left with that bill, and that might strain their budget mm -hmm. in other ways. You don't want to be backed into a corner where you're choosing between BART and buses or BART and light rail. Right. When most transit experts say the real answer is all of the above. Yeah. Well, let's hope the vision pays off, and we'll stay on it. Devin, thank you. Great story. What a
dumb they, they dumb they dumb planned it they're like let's send it to santa clara county but let's send it to places that no one wants to fucking go that doesn't that doesn't really connect with other transit in any sort of meaningful way sure at milpitas it connects with light rail but it's like all the way out on one of the arms like yeah, i saw this was other the, i saw this other plan where they just took the fucking thing went right down 880 and basically went down Tasman to uh, first in Santa Clara, and then it was they were going to build it like above the above the light rail, like elevated tracks, like all the way down First Street. And I was like, "That's the plan. That's the dope plan that takes you right by Cisco, where everyone works. Like it, it's it's the dope plan." And they didn't yeah, do the, that. They the, I don't know why they put it at the fucking Great Mall. Like why'd they put it at the Great Mall? And then from the Great Mall, they they could have like gone to first in Tasman, but they're like, here, we'll go out to where there used to be a flea market. There's a there are a million reasons and there's a million um factors that go into into it. Um uh and a lot of it most of it comes down to money at the end of the day. And they say, well, the light rail system services that corridor you're talking about already, already, right? So why they would say why why duplicate the system? They're just trying to get to downtown San Jose as fast as possible on whatever right of way they could find that takes them through points like yeah, like Milpitas, like uh, the Great Mall, where they you can have some connectivity to other systems. But end of the day, you know, we're we're grafting a public transportation system on a space that was built for cars, like we talk about a lot. So it's just not going to be clean or perfect or fun and at the end of the day it's going to get to downtown so that's nice um but uh it's it's going to be more of a connector than anything else right not, not necessarily its own delivery device um, when it comes to people commuting and 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 uh uh you know going from home to to work that kind of thing um for some folks it will be for that dude it will be um but it, it, it will also be a connector as well. So it's not going to be the end all. And that's just what the Bay Area is. It's just one connected, interconnected system of uh, networks, transportation networks. And it's all because we didn't get our shit together 50 years ago, like they said in that in that story. So we're paying the price. And we're paying the price cost-wise too, right? Like, no way this would have cost $12 billion. Like the whole system I, was probably in the, at the time, you know, it was probably in the hundreds of millions. The whole system, right? To build it out. So... Uh, but 50 years, you know, labor costs go up, uh, parts and labor and then parts go up, uh, cost of land goes up, cost of entitlements goes up, all of it, um, staff time and, and, and the planning process, all of it. So yeah, it's $12 billion, but that's kind of the going rate for, for these kind of projects. It's the biggest public works project in Santa Clara County history. So there you go. And yeah. It's got a big boring device. I can't wait to see the big drill. Yeah, I want to take. I want to go for a ride on that thing. They should sell tickets to go for a ride on that thing to help uh, oh, offset they, the cost. Oh, absolutely! That's a great idea. While it's boring under Santa Clara Street, that'd be fantastic. A little, little, uh, you know, half an hour, what hour? A couple hundred bucks. It's probably dangerous as shit. Like they probably, they, they probably exactly. They, yeah, they'd probably exactly. They'd probably, they'd probably end up paying more in insurance than they'd make on that. So. Well, they'd have to charge more, I guess. So, but I'd pay I'd pay a high premium to be like, "Oh, this is dangerous. Your head could get chopped off by the blades." Yes, let's do it. Well, they're not going to let you stand All in right. front of it. <laughs> no, no, I would hope not. Like, there's got to be some. They could have some sort of a enclosed, you know, bulletproof, blade-proof capsule of some sort, right? Where you can sort of observation watch what's going deck. On. Observation. Yeah, the observ and ob there you go, an observation deck. Um, on the the great uh, Dreamhouse car that is the the seventy eight six million dollar <laughs> boring device. 
So let's move on to our next story here. We got a South Bay winery owner was fined for letting a family live on an RV on their property. Let's see what's what's going on here. Government in its finest. South Bay winery owner says he tried to do a good thing. He allowed the manager of his vineyard and his family to live in a trailer on his property during and after the pandemic. Well, now he says Santa Clara County is sticking him with hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines. NBC Bay Area's Marianne Favreau reports from Saratoga. Savannah Chanel Vineyards in Saratoga is home for Marcelino Martinez. He's been the vineyard manager here for more than 23 years and raised his three kids here. The owner of Savannah Chanel Winery says for the past seven years, the Martinez family has lived in this trailer here on his property. But in 2019, Santa Clara County says it told vineyard owner Michael Ballard the RV trailer being used as a dwelling violated the county's zoning ordinance. I got a letter saying that it was illegal to live in a trailer in Santa Clara County and that I'd have to remove it within the next two weeks, which meant that the Martinez family had nowhere to go and it was effectively going to cause them to be homeless. And I refused to let that happen. Ballard says the he paid them more living in the trailer and the county started assessing <laughs> him with hefty fines. We reached out to the county, which confirmed in July of 2019, it imposed fines of $1,000 a day for the RV trailer violation, which was later reduced. At the stated fine, daily fine rate, um, I'm, I probably owe, you know, th- three and a half or four hundred thousand dollars in fines at this point. Then came COVID and Ballard still allowed the Martinez family to live in the trailer. Marcelino says he had no other option. Impact me because I uh, not had money to buy a house, another mobile home, first thing, when I moved here. So no other money is, is, is impact and no have place to go. The county says it worked with Ballard to come into compliance, even extending a deadline. But it wasn't until October 2022 that he finally obtained a permit to install this accessory dwelling unit, or ADU, at the vineyard. The Martinez family expects to move in next month. But Ballard says after several hearings with the county, he still doesn't understand why he's still facing fines for helping a family in need. Uh, We were trying to be good Samaritans and try to help a family that needs housing, and uh, we're getting punished for it. He'll plead his case with the county in another hearing next month. In Saratoga, Marianne Favreau, NBC Bay Area News. No, that's a bad guy. That's not a good guy. (laughs) That's a bad guy. Yeah, right? Right? Uh, (laughs) You may... uh, What do you you think his vineyard's worth? In Saratoga, just a lot. ballpark, it, it just lots, a, millions, millions, easily maybe ten million dollars. Yeah, hundred percent. You you interjected in the middle of the story with exactly the right point. Like, just I don't want these guys. My this guy to be homeless. Well, maybe pay him more. <laughs> pay him a living wage. Pay him. A, you know, help him find a place. Right. Like, don't just like, oh yeah, you can you can park your RV in my my yard. And I mean, that's gracious and all, but to act like he's some sort of you know, a uh, white shining knight when really it's quite obvious from his haircut that he's really trying to make a point with the county, right? At, at some point, like this, some bureaucrat pissed him off and he's like, no, fuck it. I'm not, you know, I'm not budging. I'm not going to pay your fine. <laughs> and it's not really about the guy, their family, you know, that he's essentially trying to help. It's about him and his, you know, his edification, his own edification. Um, I mean, great. The guy gets an ADU out of it. That's, that's fantastic. And I was, brand brand new fab you know unit but he could have done that to begin with and the other thing is like 
if you manage a vineyard, you should maybe not, maybe you should live somewhere else. Like it might be nice to get like off the fucking vineyard that you work at. Wouldn't it though? Wouldn't it be great? Like, like, like then you're, then you're, boss isn't up in your personal business like do you know what i'm saying like yeah no 100 uh calling you out at all hours like hey the irrigation's not working and whatever field four i don't know how the shit works right you uh, can't even lie and say out. that you're sick when you want to go to the baseball game or whatever like because mm-hmm. he's like well you right. seem to have left right oh man not be able to yeah that guy's a monster um, I, somebody says, a man, I manage a vineyard in Saratoga. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to make, I'm going to make some assumptions about how much about that person's salary and that person's salary probably has a uh, six figures in it. Yeah. I, I did not expect when I saw the headline for this story, um, before I watched it, the, this would be the manager of the vineyard. I thought this was just some family that he'd come across at shopping at Lenardi's or something and said, yeah, cool. You have a, you want to come chill on my, my lot? No problem. Um, well, yeah. Or like, helped, a, maybe he helped other families, right? Or like, maybe a, he does like, this like, regular. like one of his kids or like a nephew or yeah. Yeah. Not he, he loved, he loved, probably loves this arrangement, right? It keeps his, this guy under his thumb, um, in a lot more than ways than one. Right. Um, <clears throat> dependent on, yeah, dependent yeah. on him, right. He'll never lose this guy. Uh, uh, he'll, he'll ha- he has to stay there as the manager, right? No and in this case, like, I hope the county doesn't back down. And if he goes to court, I hope the judge just tells this guy, he'd been like, look, you could have paid this out in salary to this guy or half of this or two thirds of this out in salary, extra mm-hmm. salary to this guy over this time. And you could have just right. lived somewhere. And uh, then we wouldn't be, we wouldn't even be here. And I'm, my curiosity, again, as usual with local news, is who led this story? Like, who drove this? Who who called the reporter, right? Because the reporter didn't just find this out. No one's, like, looking through all that documentation just to find really juicy stuff like this. So either the guy the the or the winery owner called the press. I don't think that his wine, vineyard manager called the press. So I'm guessing it was the vineyard owner. And it's all about just proving a point, just ego, right? Like... <clears throat> yeah, I'm standing up to government. I'm taking it to the man. I'm not paying three hundred thousand dollars. And look, I'm building an ADU for my Latino uh, <laughs> uh, property manager, right? And his family. I'm doing a good. I'm doing a solid for them. Like this guy runs the dude's winery for him. Yeah. yeah. Like you know what I'm saying? The dude does yeah. the fucking the shit to run the winery. He's yeah. the the not like. He's and and like whatever. There's there's you know no problem if he was a, a cashier or whatever. This would still be like, dude, pay this person enough to get a fucking apartment. But this guy yeah. manages the winery. The only way yeah. in which this would be like good is if the guy was like, oh, I really want to buy a house in Saratoga, and then the guy was like, hey, you know, we have a lot of extra space here. You know, you make a pretty good salary if you want to figure out. You know, if you want to live on this this property for a couple of years, and and you know, I'll just throw it in as a perk while you save up to. You know, put a big down payment on a house in Saratoga. Okay, but I don't mm-hmm. think that's what's going on here, friends. I, I get the feeling that's not what's going on here. No, I don't believe so. I, I, like, I think f- he would he he would have done that to begin with, right? Like that would have been the right. you know, first thing. If he really, especially really liked the guy, he wants to retain the guy. Uh, he's a good he's a good vineyard manager. You know, he, that guy could be top notch, right? Um, so maybe he wants to keep him around. Uh, yeah, I w- that's what I would have done if I was sitting on a ten million dollar property and. <laughs> Probably a lot of wealth and interest. Um, yeah, help, help. This be, is a, be, be a helpful. This, don't just like you know, look, try to look like you're being helpful. 
I wonder if he owes his soul to the fucking company store for all the fucking charcuterie he eats or whatever too. Like I just, I'm getting, I get bad vibes off of this. Right. I, I, he gives him 5% off lunches at the company store. I fucking, this, this just seems like real bad. Anyway. Well, the next, the, the next story will make you feel so much better. It's a warm and fuzzy story. Literally. Oh, but I don't think anyone's winning. Mayor London Breed would like to abduct a panda. Here we go. Let's see what's going on. <laughs> Welcome back. Oh, look at this. The Bay Area could be panda. playing a part in panda diplomacy. We're learning new details about the efforts to bring a panda from China to the San Francisco Zoo. Devin Feely is here to talk about this. The mayor certainly confirmed that the city has put a big bid in for this, the ring into the hat, or the yeah. hat into the ring. They are definitely cuties. They're native to China. Oh. They're considered a national treasure in China. And But here's the rub, though, Juliet. There's only 2,500 or thereabouts left in the entire world. And for decades, China has used giant pandas as a way to build better relations with other countries by lending them out to zoos. Now, many of those agreements have run out, though. The National Zoo in Washington, D.C. just sent its two pandas back to China in November. And now Atlanta, that's the only zoo left in the U.S. that has them. But that could change. Mayor London Breed confirmed that she sent a letter in December to President Xi Jinping asking China to consider San Francisco. The San Francisco Zoo is a new home for at least one of its pandas. Now, just weeks before, President Xi was here in San Francisco for the Apex Summit in November. He dropped some hints that pandas might be coming back to California. Now, that doesn't absolutely mean San Francisco. San Diego, the San Diego Zoo could also be in play. It hosted pandas starting in the 90s. Now, the last one were shipped back to China in 2019. But Mayor Breed thinks that San Francisco could have an edge this time. And I think that San Francisco, uh, as our relationship is, is, is one of the places that is really the most significant place that something like this can take place in light of our history, in light of our already built-in relationship, and also what appears to be, um, you know, a, a, a major... Uh, love affair with San Francisco and, and, and the relationship that exists because of the population. There is no concrete timetable for when this could happen, but Breed says that some experts have actually checked out the zoo here and confirmed that it could handle the logistics of hosting pandas. Now, she says that there is, there's a ton of positives, right? From building bridges with China to creating educational opportunities for young people and, of course, boosting tourism. You know how people line up to buy tickets overnight for Beyonce? The same thing. That's my hope. People will line up overnight. I'm panda going to sing? To go and see these pandas. It has been 40 years since San Francisco last hosted pandas. That was back in 1984. Two pandas stopped by the SF Zoo for a three-month stay as part of a tour that was supporting the Olympics in Los Angeles. And at the time, they attracted hundreds of thousands of visitors. All right, so I think it was the pandas are just like Beyonce. People wait for Beyonce. People wait in line for that's the mic drop moment for the mayor. Right. Well, look, we hosted the president here, President Xi. So, I mean, I think we should host a panda. But you had me, you know, hook, line and sinker until you also kind of threw in that possibly San Diego is a contender. San Diego does have a nice suit. Now, the weird thing about these arrangements. Yeah. Even if there's baby pandas that are born here. China still technically owns the babies, too. Well, we'll take good care of the babies. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Devin. This is stupid. Yes. I, I'm amazed at how much I, I included a few more stories this week from K KPIX and the docket because uh, I'm, I'm just amazed at how much they let their anchors and their reporters just 
gab after the story, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And just expose themselves to be just nincompoops. So <clears throat> I don't give a fuck about the panda. Um, right. I don't think people are going to care that much. I think like, if I'm not mistaken, just zoo attendance and like even before the pandemic, just overall zoo attendance in this country was down anyway. Sure. I, I think they're on, they're not necessarily on the way up. Um, and this is all just another distraction from uh, everything else, right? Like look at the panda, look at the cute little panda. It's, all, <laughs> it's almost textbook, right? Kind of media. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to get a panda. We might not get the poof off the streets, but we'll get you a panda. Put the panda on Bart to increase ridership. <laughs> right? That would be awesome. Come, yeah, you can come pet the panda on Bart. Ah! They're, yeah, they're fucking actually, they, they look like, they look they're one way, but they're actually, actually yeah. the other way. They're pretty yeah, they fucking are actually dangerous. Pretty mm -hmm. You got to be careful. Absolutely, I'd be careful. Um, but yeah, just another distraction. Uh, what, do you, what, what, what do you expect from a panda but a grunt? Anyway. So, um, right along. Still in San Francisco, I mean, they could just use this old Safeway that they're going to get rid of to fucking house the panda, I suppose. Um, people are, I, the comments on everything, it's like, oh, there's crime, and people are, people, they're shutting down the Safeway in the Western Edition because of crime, and I'm like, crime ain't in the Western Edition, friend. Mm. They're tearing it down because they're going to build luxury apartments there. So they're tearing down a mm -hmm. Safeway in the Western Edition in San Francisco to build housing, and people, people be mad. People be mad. Ridico store. This is like the store for all the elderly in the neighborhood. They can walk over here. There's no stairs. Easy in, easy out. It's not helping the black community. It's not helping the homeless. It's not helping us at all. Tonight, it's the very real human cost of a neighborhood closure. The Safeway in San Francisco's Fillmore District is set to shut down. And the community says it's more than just a bag of groceries. Neighbors in the Fillmore and Western Edition neighborhoods are still angry tonight, saying if this plan goes through, it will have long-term negative implications on the city's black community. The announced closure for that store in the heart of the city on Webster Street came late last week. Tonight, ABC7 News reporter J.R. Stone is hearing the calls from neighbors and community leaders and brings us this story. In less than two months, this Safeway grocery store will close according to executives. You're gutting it. You're just gutting the neighborhood. Community members are outraged, saying seniors and handicapped individuals have been forgotten about. Those with Safeway say they have entered into an agreement to sell the three-plus acre site to a real estate company for a mixed-use development project to include housing and commercial retail space. They need to really do things about taking things from the inner city that we need and then you're developing housing. Housing for who? The homeless? You need to do better than that. It is a destruction of a community. And those thoughts from Dr. Amos Brown of the NAACP are echoed by those that live in the Western Edition, who believe this will directly impact low-income black and Asian communities. Mayor London Breed told our partners at the SF Standard, this is a real and rare opportunity to add a significant amount of new homes in this part of our city and even a new grocery store. But plans for a new grocery store have not been solidified and community members we spoke with took target at the mayor. And for London to not even fight for the black community, to have this store stay here for the blacks, it seems like they're just moving all the blacks out. 
So you're blaming the mayor on this? I, I, I blame Linda because I think Linda should have done more. She was raised in this area. Supervisor Dean Preston's office says they reached out to Safeway and the developer to explore the possibility of including a grocery store as part of any planned development at the site. They need to stop the car, slow things down, and permit this black community to get aboard and include us. The closure of this store means that shoppers will have to travel more than a mile to another Safeway or Lucky Supermarket, a little more than half a mile if and when a new Trader Joe's opens in Hayes Valley. J.R. Stone, ABC 7 News. So <clears throat> this is, I mean, they got to put a housing somewhere, but like, I don't think people like really understand like, like oh, a mile. Well, is that a mile uphill? Like San Francisco mm -hmm. is not like other places and like right. older folks and whatever are going to have a harder time getting that mile. Is there a bus line that runs straight to the fucking Safeway that's a mile or away? The or the TJs in Hayes Valley? Yeah, yeah. So that's like, it's different. Um, mm -hmm. Exactly. It's like a very different place. I don't, um, I mean, I, the developer's going to win. There's nothing, nothing's going to happen here. I hope they do put a grocery store in there. But the problem is if they put <clears throat> like a luxury, like apartments there, which is what they're going to put there, um, th it's not going to be a Safeway at the bottom. It's going to be like foods. a Sprouts or a Whole Foods yeah. or whatever down there. Oh, Sprouts for sure. And like in, in like increased, it'll be like increased price. It'll be like increased prices for the bougie people that move into the new, um, the new apartment complex. Somebody in chat mentioned the Trader Joe's. That's a different development uh, around the way from this, and that's like not solidified yet. Uh, Trader Joe's is a little cheaper. That'd be a good place for Trader Joe's, actually. But I don't know. I mean, this nobody's going to be able to stop this. If the people who own the land sold it to a developer and the developer wants to put up uh, housing there, they're going to put up uh, luxury apartments there. Yeah, it sounds like the mayor's on board. It sounds like the, sounds like the city's on board. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's probably a done deal. Uh, Fortunately, for folks who now have to go uphill, probably one mile yeah. or downhill, either way. I mean, people, you're people, going uphill one way. Uh, people will adjust, but it's, uh, you know, if you live right across the way from there and you're one of the, you know, older, older people, they sh saw pushing that cart living right across the way from it is a big difference than living uh, a mile in San Francisco. Cause even if it's not uphill on the way there, that means it's uphill on the way back. Like there aren't very, very many flat parts of the city. True. True. One, one way or the other. Um, Better well, if it's uphill on the way there, because at least on the way back, it's downhill with all that heavy stuff, right? Oh, true. Yeah, but, I need a cart of some sort. Um, well, uh, if SF may be losing a Safeway, but as we're fronting out and get your shit together this week, uh, looks like San Quentin could get like a Starbucks or something, maybe a Pete's. I don't know. <laughs> a prison, perhaps a perhaps a Phil's. Oh, fantastic! Uh, but we'll, we'll learn more One in this hit. One of the most hit. notorious prisons in the country is being transformed. Classrooms, job training, new cells, and even coffee shops. All the proposed changes to San Quentin in Marin County. Today, we got a look at these plans. Let's bring in NBC's Scott Budman, who has the details. This could be a big deal uh, for this prison and really prisons around the country. Yeah, Raj, Governor Newsom has already talked about spending $360 million to improve San Quentin. Today, a group chosen by the governor to come up with ways to spend that money made a few of their ideas public. 
The hope, they say, is to eventually change San Quentin from a prison institution to a rehabilitation center. This report represents hope and possibilities, a true intersection between enhanced public safety and uplifting human dignity. A group called the San Quentin Transformation Advisory Council laid out its goals via a Zoom call. They include reducing the population of prisoners there from more than 3,400 while offering more education and job training along with extra training for correctional officers. They'd also like to spend $120 million on housing improvements while making parts of the prison more like life on the outside. I believe it will truly transform um, the living conditions for those that live at San Quentin and the working conditions uh, for the staff who who serve the population. The council working with Governor Newsom's office calls this a first step, hoping to eventually make it easier for those incarcerated to return to society. And people more often than not leave prisons worse than they were when they arrived, having received far too few tools to allow them to reintegrate successfully into their communities and into their families following their release. Over time, the advisory council says it wants to change the entire correction system, making it healthier for those who are incarcerated. When people are given an opportunity to recognize their own self-worth, their own unique skills and talents, they start to see themselves as part of the community and not an enemy of it. And the next step they say moving forward is to work with the governor's office and legislator to try and get permission to put their plan into action. Raj? We'll see how this shakes out. Scott, thank you. So I'm unsure what they mean, like put a Starbucks there. Do they mean like so that the staff has a Starbucks to go to? Or do they mean so that Starbucks has uh, people that can pay at a possibly below the minimum wage to sell coffee to other inmates who like, do you know what I'm saying? Like there's a. Yeah. There's a real, there's a real, there's a real nasty version of this that I think is probably what's going on. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know, and I don't know if it's particularly Starbucks, but they said like coffee shops. So the first thing that came to mind, but um, yeah, you know, there's uh, there's certainly a lot of again a lot of factors at play here, right? Uh, and and what really what really constitutes justice reform and rehabilitation reform and a rehabilitative status is entirely up for debate. Um. It's, I mean, it's good to see an investment made in making prisons less like prisons, um, because at the end of the day, we would probably be beneficial, beneficial if we didn't incarcerate so many people, and if we found a way to uh, uh, better serve them and uh, make sure that they don't keep committing crimes. That would be great. Um, I don't know if this is the answer or not. Uh, I don't, definitely don't know if Starbucks is the answer or not, um, but you know, maybe a Pike's Place uh, roast every now and then will help. Yeah. So I mean, we'll there's, find out. there's a way this there's a way this could be good, but I'm not really hopeful that the prison system is going to have do this in a, like if, if what they do is they have like a cafe where like literally if you're, if you're in, incarcerated there, you can just go get a cup of coffee at the cafe mm -hmm. and there's people that work there kind of like at, they would work in like, you know, inside the prison. I guess that could be cool because then like you get a nice cup of coffee while you're there. It'd be, you know, kind of a, a you know a bit of normalcy while you're in there i suppose but i have a right. feeling this is going to go the other way mm. yeah no it's uh we shall see we shall see the numbers will the numbers will tell so um, uh, we're going to move on to the down ballot watch part this is where it is specifically ew. about local government and local politicians and it looks like san francisco leaders are promoting ballot measures to uh address uh nagging issues we'll see we'll see what those issues are 
San Francisco's problems are not easily solved, but some officials will be asking the voters in March to help remove what they say are obstacles to progress. John Ramos has the story. Doom loop or not, whatever situation San Francisco finds itself in is largely of its own making. Some city leaders are acknowledging that as they push a set of voter initiatives that will change the way the city deals with its problems. Four years after the pandemic shutdown, San Francisco's problems are not only known, they're right there in plain sight. And on this day, in the city's Japantown area, the mayor wasn't sugarcoating it. We saw car break-ins and we saw open-air drug use and drug dealing and we saw a lot of folks die. We're facing a new kind of public safety challenge in San Francisco. So some city leaders are kicking off a campaign for three voter initiatives that will address some of San Francisco's toughest challenges, crime, drug addiction, and the housing shortage. Prop E would change public safety policies, some advocated by the city's own police commission, allowing officers to once again chase suspects in felony and violent misdemeanors. It would also reportedly cut down on mandated paperwork and authorize... I'm sorry, car chases just fucking, like, double the number of cars going at dangerous speeds. Yes. Police ...to use high-tech tools, including drones and license plate readers. We have to do more with less. And the way we do that is to take off restrictions from the police department and then also allow them to use technology to help them in their jobs. Next is Prop F, which addresses the deadly fentanyl addiction crisis. It would require single adults who engage in substance abuse to participate in treatment as a condition of receiving an already existing cash payment benefit from the city. The opponents say that it's punitive because we're doing something. For me, in this city now, it's time for change. Supervisor Matt Dorsey, himself a recovering drug user, says it would start to demand some accountability of behavior without being outright punitive in nature. But it does need to have consequences because what we're facing out there with the drugs that are so potently addictive, it is deadly. This dude just ever. used to smoke pot, yeah, though, right? He's also a former cop. Finally, Prop C is intended to bring some life back to the downtown. Advocates want to see some of the unused office space in the financial district converted to housing. Hell yeah, I'd move there. Say the city's you got fiber? Six percent transfer tax, approved by voters just Tower. three years ago, We're not is there. A disincentive to sell Cheap. properties for that purpose. State Senator Scott Weiner says Prop C would suspend oh, that tax in the downtown area okay, he's, only he's there for, for housing C. conversions that begin by 2030. And we need to make sure that people are able to come in and do what they need to do with those buildings and convert some of them uh, to housing. And that we're not letting our taxes get in the way of those changes that we need in downtown San Francisco. All of these things together, our safety, our open-air drug use and treatment, our economic recovery, that is what's going to help us move this city forward out of what was a very challenging time during a very challenging pandemic. The pandemic has changed San Francisco in a lot of ways, not all of them good. It's now being left to the voters to make some changes in both policies and attitudes that may help the city recover. Okay, the first two, ENF, I don't know. Uh, making yeah, no. it a little easier to convert <clears throat> all them office buildings that are empty into housing. Uh, probably good, but the devil in that one's going to be in the details too, right?
For sure. For sure. And and what it applies to and what, what are the loopholes and how can big fancy developers get around it, right? And but also how it can be manipulated uh, to stop projects from happening. Uh, so uh, it's, that's more than likely why Scott Wiener was there. I doubt that he was there to support ENF, honestly, but he was more than likely there for C. Um, but um, it's, just, it's, it's hard to, you know, uh, figure out the game plan there, right? Why would you put yourself standing there behind two measures you don't necessarily agree with just for the one, just try to organize a rally for your measure and that's it. Um, so interesting confluence of people. The mayor's trying to, I think, build coalitions, right? And, and look better <laughs> to everyone and try to get all these measures passed. Um, but yeah, giving more power to the police. Nah, thank you very much. Um, you know, forcing anyone who's in a drug addicted state to do, you know, put, putting parameters on their recovery, right? And, and regulations and, and uh, more hoops for them to jump through. Not a good idea. It's hard enough to get anyone into treatment period, um, let alone, you know, forcing it upon them, right? If they, if they want to get certain other social services, right? They have to go, they, you have to do this to get that. That's not how social services should work. And uh, anyone who's done it, who's worked social work knows that. Um, and that's not how it actually works. We'll see how those ballot measures develop. But we've been following this for a little, a little while. This is the launch of the campaign, and uh, it's a, it's going to be a sprint. Uh, it's eight weeks till election day, pretty much. I think maybe even seven. Yeah, <clears throat> we'll see. We'll see. It looks like uh, we're going to move on over across the bay to Oakland. Um, Yo, Oakland. Like people want to recall the mayor of Oakland. Recalls. Uh, I hate recalls. I'm recalling you, producer Dave. We were actually going to do a recall of all the mods in our chat, but then we realized that there's like that would just everybody would just say no. We you, that person can still be the mo moderator. Like it would be dumb, <laughs> right? Who's going to vote? Who's going to go publicly? <clears throat> who's going to publicly vote to remove somebody as a moderator in the chat? Because then the moderator will just kick them out. Like <laughs> fucking corrupt. There's corruption everywhere in governance everywhere. Everywhere. This yes, absolutely. Uh, All right. Well, let's see what's anyway. going on with the uh, potential recall of the uh, Oakland mayor. Oakland. Political heat is on in the East Bay. First, it was the Alameda County District Attorney. Now, a recall effort for Oakland Mayor Sheng Tao. Organizers say they have more than enough signatures to do it, and they plan to file the paperwork tomorrow. NBC Bayer's Jocelyn Moran joins us now with the details for that. Yeah, you know, residents say they are fed up. Behind this, the residents, they tell us they are not only fed up with crime in the city of Oakland, but the lack of a police chief, the recent shooting of Officer Lay, and the city dropping the ball on the grant to combat retail theft. Organizers and volunteers were gathering signatures in the Montclair neighborhood tonight. Oh, you don't say. People showed up. I feel that uh, Mayor Tao is, is derelict in her duties as a, uh, as a leader. Sean Parkin has lived in Oakland for 15 years. He also owns a commercial property near Jack London Square. Oh, landlord. The building has been burglarized, um, I think, five times in 2023. 20, uh, and it costs us a really Get better locks. Money. 
each time. He wants change, so tonight he volunteered to collect signatures. He posted on next door that he would be in the Montclair neighborhood, and one by one, residents showed up, including Loretta Sansusi, an Oakland native. We asked her why she came tonight. She pointed I'm to the lack racist. of response from oh. Tao's office when concerns are brought up and not having a police chief. I think people are just about had it. They can't, they can't tolerate this anymore. We've got our small businesses that are suffering. They keep getting attacked over and over again. Different communities are getting attacked over and over again. The most vulnerable. We looked at some of the stats in Oakland. Robberies increased by 38% from 2022 to 2023. Burglaries increased by 23%. Motor vehicle thefts increased by 45%. We're in the notice of intent phase. Seneca Scott, who is a member of the NAACP Oakland chapter, is one of the organizers of this recall effort. He also ran for mayor in 2022. They've been collecting signatures over the last couple of days. We have been down in East Mont Mall. We have been in Chinatown. We have been in West Oakland. Well, in the last hour, we heard from the mayor's office who says they have no comment on the recall effort. Organizers tell us they need 250 signatures to submit this notice of intention. They tell us they have more than enough. It is important to note, though, the notice of intention is just the first step in this long process. But tonight, it seems like that process is well underway. They plan on submitting tomorrow. Raj, you get 250 signatures in Oakland for anything. Oh, for sure. To open a Starbucks. <laughs> yeah especially in montclair um, well and if people aren't aware oakland montclair is like the the hills it's the mm -hmm. oakland hills it's the yeah. it's the very it's the it's the very nice very very smart part of oakland they might say yeah I, i'm just so sick of this recall bullshit like for god's fucking sake like these gripes right it's gripes it's all it is it's gripes like vote vote them out Vote against them next time. It's called elections, assholes. You probably didn't show up last time, and they won, and now you're mad about it, and you want to take it back. So go vote or run. Run yourself. Get in the race. And from what I saw here, it looked like the coalition was like the rich people uh, in Montclair and then like some people from the NAACP. So then if the recall goes through, those people are just going to be fighting over who the next mayor is going to be because they're not going to agree on shit after that, right? Well, they were they were all you know supporting of the guy who came in second, basically through ranked choice voting in the mayor's race, right? Uh, that's a lot of that's this, right? The sting from losing, right? Um, and uh, seeing any opportunity to you know take it back, like I said. So that there's that. That's the that's the coalition. <laughs> that's the coalition. White landlords and uh, the NAACP. What a what a interesting bedfellows politics makes sometimes. So now we move to San Jose, and this is this is, this is a very down ballot story. Um, it is. It's a story that even has, like, I think, relevance to you and us and this network even. Yeah, so um, it looks like San Jose City Council member got a restraining order against a blogger. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, had, it, had I not moved from San Jose, you'd have been like, Dave, what did you write? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can always, it, it's the internet's amazing. You don't have to be in San Jose or anywhere near it, really, to write something about San Jose or even post a video about it yeah but since i moved to where i live now all i do is like uh, make, make curry honestly <laughs> and, and i make curry and i stream that's all do you do curry swaps do you go do, do, do you you and your neighbors make curry and then you swap and have a couple curries well, that's, a, that's, a, that's not a bad idea we should do it i should do it like a 
like a like a neighborhood curry party. Anyway, curry party we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and take a look at this. This is uh, from uh, Fox Two Bay Area. Got it. New Atlanta, San Jose City Councilman has been granted a temporary restraining order against a social media blogger. Council member Peter Ortiz says he felt he and his family were in danger after videos were posted claiming he supports the sexualization of children. KTVU South Bay. Oh, no, it's Moms for Liberty. Tonight outside San Jose City Hall with more from both parties involved here. La Monica. San Jose City Councilman Peter Ortiz says this isn't about punishing someone for criticizing the job he's doing, but it's about keeping himself and his family safe. You know, these false accusations uh, and implications um, that I'm supporting, you know, the sexualization of children has already led to um, some of the respondents followers on social media uh, to come after myself uh, and and um, my girlfriend. San Jose City Council member Peter Ortiz was granted a temporary restraining order late last month against Robert Sines, the administrator of ESSJ Times. The social media blogger usually posts about the community and public safety in San Jose. But on December 17th, Sines made this post calling Ortiz and another council member brown puppets, saying, quote, Peter Ortiz and Omar Torres do not represent the Latino and Mexican community at all, especially the majority of the community that is against grooming our children. I represent my entire district, whether you're gay, you're straight, whether what nationality you, you come from, male or female. Um, and so I've seen these attacks go nationally, and it's, it's our job to make sure that they, they stop and this violence doesn't enter the city of San Jose. San Jose City Council unanimously passed a resolution last October in support of the LGBTQ plus community. Sign says his posts are being misinterpreted and he simply supports those who disagree with policies that teach children about being gay or transgender. A lot of the voices have been hijacked. A lot of them don't agree with um, what's being shown to the schools and then that's okay. That's okay. It's just really not okay that a big part of the gay community has been silenced. Ortiz says, "Oh, oh no, oh no, oh no, 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 no. You know, you stop that, sir." His family, Signs now believes his freedom of speech is in jeopardy. That restraining order is him attacking my First Amendment. He's attacking the opinion of all sixty-six thousand people who follow. And so, as of right now, ma'am, I'm just going to view my my legal my legal options. Now, the restraining order is also supposed to restrict signs from posting any other defamatory statements about Ortiz. And Ortiz says that the temporary restraining order will be reassessed later on this month. Mike? The Monica Peters live tonight in San Jose. La Monica, thank you for that. Supporters of. So fucking QAnon fucking rearing its ugly head. That's where this comes out. Everybody's like, oh, QAnon's over. I'm like, wow. I mean, as a movement that would be recognizable as QAnon, sure, but it's gone completely fucking mainstream now. Like, like they, and and the the thing where he was like, "Oh, there's gay people who don't like this. Don't like what? Like, what do you mean? Right. Don't like this? He's, what are we talking fuck, about exactly? Like, yeah, I, I I'm familiar with this blog or the you know the Instagram account, and I've I've seen posts from them before. It's exactly yeah, it's what you think. And what you said it is, it's it's if it's not directly QAnon, it's QAnon adjacent. 
and uh, it's come to San Jose, and it's ever it's everywhere. Everyone needs to recognize that it is everywhere. We've known it for quite some time, right? We've been talking about it for close to seven, eight years. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you, if you don't think it's here and it's in your neighborhood, you're fooling yourself. So yeah, be aware. It's, it's and you know this every time they 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 start doing this, they're like, oh, the uh, they'll go the LGB community doesn't like trans people, and then you look at polling, and it's like, um, uh, like five to one, actually, we do. Um, like like overwhelmingly we do because the things Mm -hmm. you're saying about them are they rhyme a lot with the things you were saying about us 25 years ago so right you know it's like um (laughs) this is this is this is crazy i think he like i don't i can't stop him from doing it but i i'm not a big fan of people taking my uh, queer identity and using it as a prop in their crusade against whatever the whatever other shit they don't like it's like i'm not on their fucking side you know I mean, I guess we could take over his page with goats. Speaking of goats, somebody just raided the channel. Um, oh no! All right, if you have to shut that down, we can we can skip the the dog who ate four. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. People okay. on the pod, if you don't know, a raid on Twitch is when uh, someone sends their viewers our way for to come check out our show when their show is done. And uh, the reason we associate that with goats is we use uh, goat uh, gifts on our alerts here to. Um, Alert everyone that there's been a raid. They stampede in now. They discoed in in 2023. They stampede now. Um, Thank you. That'd be be, uh, maybe a Nikki that says N7KKI. We're just finishing our podcast here with and another thing. So uh, this is... um, I don't oh, know. No. It's a local story, oh, but it's no. it's on local news. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) This is dog versus pile of cash. Yes, and poop. Out of the story we've been teasing you with all morning. We're talking about the dog, the dollars, and the dookie to make everything right. <laughs> Let's start this over. <laughs> Out of the story we've been teasing you with all morning. We're talking about the dog, the dollars, and the dookie to make everything right again. Christian Benavidez reports. <laughs> Pup parents Clayton and Carrie Law say their seven-year-old golden doodle Cecil is normally a very good boy. Except for the time he ate $4,000 in cash left on a kitchen counter meant to pay for a new fence. It was about literally 30 minutes. The money was just strewn on the floor like half-eaten bills and the envelope was completely gone. So (laughs) she's really good at researching stuff. So she's like Googling dog ate money. What what do you do kind of thing? It happened last month. The Pennsylvania couple quickly called their vet, who told them Cecil likely just needed to be monitored for a few days. As long as he's eating and going to the bathroom normally, don't worry about it. What was the reaction of the vet and the manager at the bank when you explained what happened? Honestly, nobody was super shocked. I guess this happens a lot. The bank told them they could tape together any bills with visible (laughs) serial numbers and they'd replace them. The two knew what had to happen next if they were going to recoup their money. So you sifted through vomit and droppings. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to follow him and see if anything comes out for a yep. couple of days. And it, <laughs> it did. Yeah. They recovered $3,550. Were you guys angry at all? No, I... I don't think you can ever really get angry at a pet for doing this kind of a thing. We were just happy he was okay. It's hard to be mad at a face like this. Aww. He too had a rough day. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was daring the he was daring the fuck he was daring the fucking news person to leave their camera unattended right there. You see that? 
Yeah, come a little closer. I want to eat that camera. Boy. Damn. We just want to let you know the dog did come up with most of the money, but he's short $500. The owners are watching for the money, kind of like we stand at the ATM watching for money to come out. Listen. Yep. Still waiting. We'll keep you posted. God, they had to watch all that money, and I bet they were pooped after all oh. that. Oh, CKPIX. Love it. Well, we were waiting all day for that one. They, they all even, somebody, somebody even clapped it like you did a quip. The morning, the morning meeting for the the, the show. They, they talked about that joke. Media went through chat is all boo hack. Who's, who's gonna chop? Who's gonna do it? Don't blow it. Um. And all right. Well, what a wonderful another thing. I always like to hear about money and my poop. I, I I always check my poop. Do you look at your poop? No. No, you just. Don't. I mean, I've seen fl- it, but that's different than. No, I don't examine it. Do you flush before you stand? I haven't thought of councilman. Can we talk? Like, can we talk about this? This is this is this is a shitty thing to talk about. We'll, we'll put the courtesy flush on another episode of Down Ballot or public comment. Anyway, uh, anyway, want to read? Want to read the show out? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, thank you, as always, producer Dave, for running the dials for us this evening uh, and monitoring the chat. Thanks to the chat for being in the chat. Thanks to everyone who watches live. Thanks to everyone who downloads. Please keep doing both of those things because we want to stay the ninth best local news podcast in California, according to some dude. Uh, if you... Uh, listen to us at all you know we want you to get vaxxed we want you to wear a mask we don't think you need to wear pants but then again if you're naked on twitch you might get booted so be careful even if you're pretending to be naked uh this is the councilman and we're going to leave you with some audible smoke and we'll see you next week on tuesday night at 7 p.m pacific peace out live viewers stick around for public comment oh of course <laughs> To get the party started Pick up my phone just to check and see who's calling Dress up real nice for the ladies at the bar And I'm driving in my car just to get to where they are Here at the local scene is where I plant my feet It's where I smoke my cigarette and I hold my drink I look at all my friends, they're all blazing greens Here at the front of the stage waiting for FTV Where are those guys who's standing next to me With a pipe in his hand ready to blaze for me About five minutes later we're all singing Queen to get the fuck up on Just when the magic starts kicking in I hear we left playing You know it's time to head in Alright everybody now it's time to grab a new drink Spark it if you got it and then pass it to me yeah. We do what we want 
And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want What we want to do And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Enjoy the band Last up on the field for the show tonight It's down me dirty and five so we're headed outside the joint now who's got my lighter stoner E of course shouldn't you be inside I'm all up in this bitch being who I gotta be I'm fucked up like the US economy The truth is is that I don't think logically Stoner E take you on a psychedelic odyssey Now inside motherfuckers is rocking me And outside shit we smoke a lot of broccoli Rocky the roller you're the sexy girl be jocking me Ain't too drunk to fuck but I'll probably do it sloppily We do what we want and what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Back in